Hey, Fonzie's here. All right. What up, Fonz? <clears throat> Arthur Fonzarella. Did you check out the top ten things to do at Branson? No. Did you? Did you no, hit any I, of those? I didn't even. Did I you didn't hit even, any of the top ten. I, I didn't even hit the link. <laughs> I got a Facebook or something about top ten things to do in Branson, Missouri. Man, he just missed it, and he was did, so kind to send that to me. Yeah. Oh man. Well, you know what I did do? I did save that as a bookmark, <laughs> so that the next time I go back, I'll be properly for your prepared. travel guide. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did you turn your filter on because you don't look so good? Do we all have shiny foreheads? What the you, got, you got a filter there? Where's makeup? <laughs> oh, I bet I've got... We have a towel at. Oh, I thought you were going to get your makeup out. You yeah. got a little travel pack that you keep with you? <laughs> it's called a compact. For all the interviews that you do? <laughs> it's a strange angle. Yes. <laughs> Clean, cleaning, cleaning the lens is really going to help this, Ronnie. Holy smokers. I'm excited about this particular podcast episode because we are continuing our series on cultural value statements for our staff. Now, we do not have a perfect church staff at all. We are all... And no one thinks that we do. No. <laughs> we, we, are, we are messed up. We are jacked up. We've got all kinds of problems, just like every yes. human on the planet, which means we're going to have conflict, tension, turmoil. We're going to have chaos. Pain and sorrow. But how we deal with all that, I think, is what makes... For a healthy staff. So we want to just jump right into one of our staff values, which is health over growth. Yes. We say that often. And I, I thought I'm just as a starting point would share a little bit about where I think this came from in my past, one of the okay. reasons it's important to me, and then we'll just go from there. So when I was a young consultant working in the church world, I really did feel that church growth was a formula and a process the same way that corporate growth is. That if I know that I need to grow my business unit by 20% this year, that means I've got to sell X number more units. I've got to generate a certain amount of additional profit, which means that whatever my marketing dollar spend is for my current sales volume, I'm going to have to increase that a multiple to be able to reach the new sales number. Yes. And so it's kind of the old sales funnel mentality that if you have enough of the right inputs going into a system and a process, you will have a certain number of outputs at the bottom. And so for that's just how I viewed church when I first started. Yeah. It's, it's a very systematic approach to things. And as I got older, I encountered two particular pastors. I'll share what they'd said and the impact on me. Where it landed me, though, is that when I was younger, I would have said, I am about making a well-oiled machine, mm. that when a church runs well, good things are going to happen. But now that I am older and I hope a little more mature, really where I land the plane on this now is that we need to be concerned about soil conditions, and we need to be concerned about a well-watered garden, not a well-oiled machine, yes. right? That we tend the soil, but we have scripture to support the fact that we actually don't make anything grow. Yeah. So if we focus on that growth, then we're going to have the cart before the horse. We need to focus on the health. I think this topic is super easy to talk about at the surface level, and I think the surface level is buildings, 
right? Anybody right. Yeah. In, in the corporate world, I have a dear friend of mine who grew a company to a monstrous size, but he did it through leverage, yeah. which is borrowing against your assets in order to maximize your spending and in, in your influence today. Right. Well, eventually it caught up. The market turned and the, the company is a fraction of the size that it used to be just because he was too leveraged. So I think whether you're corporate or church, you get this idea of buildings, but I think it goes deeper than that. Oh, much deeper. Right? Because some would say, like, I know that you right now have a heart to do a better job evangelizing in our community. Yes. Right? We need to be telling the gospel more to people, not just because we're commanded by the gospel to do so, but because it helps grow the church. Yeah. Yet, some could also look at that and go, well, no, no, no. We need to be focusing on our core, and we've got to make sure that our discipleship pathway is right, that our groups are functioning well. <laughs> that's where growth occurs. <laughs> yeah, and that's, a, and that's a common argument that I hear, is discipleship versus evangelism. Right. But they're two sides of the same coin. Right, disciples evangelize. In fact, I heard one of my mentors one time uh, who was discipling me. He said, "You know, if we as churches would do better job with our discipleship, we wouldn't need revival." <laughs> you know, and we just experienced the great thing at Asbury, and that was great. Right. That's awesome. But you know, the follow up to that: Are we truly making disciples, or just getting caught up in the moment? And so that's even a, a great demonstration of, of health versus growth. Man, we love it. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people are showing up at our services, but what are you doing with them? And how long, because that will not sustain itself over a long period of time. Right. So one of the things that we have said for the last six and a half years we got here, because it was so important for us to define for the congregation what's not going to change. Right. And if we can all agree on what's never going to change, that gives us freedom to operate and everything else to make some change. That was a big move, yeah. Right. And so one of those things that we talked about is that, and that's where the value started, is that we will never willingly make a decision for growth over health. Yeah. So the application for us, just a couple of them top of mind, one would be satellite campus. Yeah. Right? So hmm. we have it in our hearts that we want to have a satellite campus. Yeah. Well, the truth is we could launch a satellite campus tomorrow. Right. We have the staff to do it. We have the people to do it. We can do this if yeah. we really want to make it happen. Yeah. But we have decided that the conditions, the soil conditions have not been there appropriate to bite that bullet and go do it. Yeah. So we have decided we're not going to do it. We're not going to risk a, a failing church plant just because we really want it because we've got to continue to be working on the health here first. Yeah, and that idea is so widespread, the issue of health. And as we often say, as the staff goes, so goes the church. Right. And that's really where this all has to start from. Actually, I would even go as far to say is it's got to start with that senior pastor, that lead pastor, and his commitment to health. Since we share crazy pastor stories, you know, I know of a pastor that when you looked at his staff, it was a rock star staff. Mm. I mean, to see what they've done after leaving that place and to look at how many he had on staff there, like, man, you should have been crushing it. Right. <laughs> you know, from a church standpoint, should have been crushing it, growing, all this stuff. There wasn't a talent problem. Yeah, not a talent problem, but that pastor in my estimation, was threatened by that. And so, you know, as we often say, leaders want to lead. We work hard to recruit leaders. Right. But then you have to let them lead. And if you get upside down about that and you get threatened by that, I mean, you, you've crushed a great opportunity. And that's exactly what happened to this church um, because that pastor was too insecure, whatever. Yeah. He wasn't healthy. He didn't have a healthy view of a staff or what a healthy staff looked like. He was threatened by it. 
sure. rather than letting those thoroughbreds loose and do their thing was some guidelines. They eventually just left. Now, that story is not, uh, obviously, we're talking about one specific church, but that story is repeated uh, thousands oh, yeah. of times around oh, yeah. the country. And it, in, in this particular case, all these high-talented people left that church yeah. and went to go on to accomplish significant things at other churches. Yes, That may be the case. It might also just be the case that we recognize that there is a fragility of the ego of a lead pastor. Yeah. Some of them. <laughs> no, I, I think pretty much all of them. No, the, tr- the truth is all of us are, but I think especially so the lead pastor because there's such scrutiny. Yeah. Every single Sunday, yeah. you know, there's someone, no matter how great you did, someone's going to come throw some bombshell at you, yeah. right? It's part of the job. So, but, but my point is, though, that there are a lot of lead pastors out there that have talent will come through the ranks, yeah. and they will balk at that talent yeah. because there's a 20-year age gap, and, you know, hey, the church may just like him more than me and ask me to leave. Yeah. I think that's somewhere inside all, all of us at all the time. Sure. Well, and it just, you know, the idea of a healthy staff. And and we've had people comment, and God has truly blessed us. We have a healthy church. We have a healthy staff. We have great, great leaders on our staff, which apparently seems to be very rare. <laughs> you know, mm. uh, talking with different friends, and even yesterday talking to a, a Christian educator that says, yeah, I, I want to be connected to a healthy church because they're not easy to find. But again, that's it's got to... You, can't, you don't just drift into that. As we've talked about before, you have to be committed to that. That's got to be part of the vision uh, to, to be healthy and whatever that means. I agree with you, and it, do, it does start at the top. You've got to have a senior pastor who's comfortable enough in his own skin to allow things to happen that they might not have a direct thumbprint control over because that's the other big issue. There's a lot of micromanaging yes. lead pastors out there yeah. that just stifle all creativity around them. Right. So we can't do that. But this whole thing about health over growth, are there other examples we can point to about not pursuing growth at the cost of health? Well, just a thought that came to my mind, how you can tell whether a church is really healthy or not, go to one of their business meetings and see yeah. how it's conducted and, and how the atmosphere and how the approach is, especially when a, a big decision is is coming up. And, uh, you know, one of the, uh, in one of my history, one of my churches, we were dealing with an issue on the, the qualifications for deacons. And it, it, was, it was divided. You know, it, it was over the divorce issue. Mm. And so we just came together as a church, and we just had a kind of a town hall meeting. We weren't voting at that point. We were just talking about the issue. And, and, and I got to tell you, I was really nervous about it. I was sweating bullets for days just thinking this is going to be terrible. Uh, and it started out a little awkward. There was pressure in the room. You could feel it. By, but after enough church members... And I really didn't even say anything till the end, listening to their story and their take on this. And we were being biblical, of course, but we were able to come to a conclusion. And not everyone agreed with that, but after that experience, they were all on board. Hey, we, we feel a little different, but we're going to support if the church chooses to go this way. And the church made a great decision, and it was very healthy. Mm. But health is risky. <laughs> you know, you got to test it. And there's things that are going to test it, and that's where you really find out if you're a healthy church or not in conflict, and how you handle conflict. Yeah, every time that you say, hey, we have a healthy staff, we have a healthy church, I'm sure there are people out there that are hearing that going, there's no way. (laughs) You just think you are. Yeah, you just say that. While I agree with you that we're in a healthy place, again, just want to stress that does not mean we are not devoid of conflict, right? But even at that, conflict is a part of health. It's how you handle conflict. You're always going to have conflict, good or bad. 
It's just that's where you find if a church is really healthy. How do you deal with conflict? Right. Do you sweep it under the rug, ignore it? Do you divide? Do you have little parking lot meetings? All those indicators that there's there's not health. And again, as a as a pastor or as the governing body, when you see things like that going on, indicators of lack of health, you need to address it. You need to fix it. And I just hope it's going to get better. Right. So, Ronnie, let's talk just a few minutes about things that we are doing here at this church that kind of plays out the fact that this is a value for us, that we want to prioritize health over growth. Yeah. I'll throw out one. When we first got here, well, point of clarification, we are a five-generation church. Yeah. When we first got here, they were doing three different styles of worship. Correct. They had a blended, they had a traditional, and then they had a full-on modern. Of course, they had student and others also. Right. And I know for a fact that if you and I walked into a church plant today, <laughs> there would be one type of music. Yeah. Right? Just one. Sure. Yeah. You know, that's that's what churches typically do today. You have one style of music, and that just makes sense. You think about the budget. Now, we have three styles of worship. Right. We have traditional, modern, and Spanish. And the amount of money that we spend in our different worship departments is significant, yeah. right? But when we first got here, even knowing that the smartest thing to do would be, hey, let's just have one style of worship here. We can, repro- we can reproduce it. We can do six services on Sunday morning, and we can do that a whole lot easier than if we have different styles of worship going on as well. Yeah. But we chose not to. Well, I remember my view of a call weekend, you know, before the church and the, the time on that Saturday afternoon where the church got to come and ask me questions. And one of the first questions, I mean, with everybody watching, was, are you going to kill our traditional service? Right. Are you going to get rid of our choir, piano, or, and like, I mean, only an idiot would say yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, you yeah. all must find so, another church. Yeah. So before I actually was voted in, it was very clear, made very clear this is something that we value. And, and I do too. I value that. I value that people, and part of what leads us to do these different styles, we want to help people connect to God in a way that's relevant and real to them. And yes, it costs more money. Isn't that funny? And that's the exact same statement we say when we're trying to launch a modern service. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> we well, want to provide worship that is relevant to the listener. Yes. And we have different worship venues on our campus for that very reason. Spent a lot of money to build a whole other worship center that's more equipped for modern worship, right. as well as remodel a traditional one. But you think about all the money, the staffing that's involved. I mean, it, there's a lot of expense to do it that way. Yes, there is. And I think that, one, we, we also need to explain our context here locally in our area. Yeah. There really is not a, another church that is investing heavily in traditional worship. Right. Most of the churches around us are shutting down their traditional services, which across the country makes complete sense. I mean, yeah. That's the church model right now. And so we are being the counterintuitive church on this, and some would say that's crazy, yeah. but the proof is in the pudding. It is, and most likely we'd be a few hundred people less on right. Sunday morning if we cut that out. But I think one of the statements that I think the, the man said it to you, 80-something-year-old hey, gentleman. That's right, right. Uh, yeah, remind me what he said. Well, he said, uh, just a very, very kind gentleman, yeah. 85 years old, comes up to me in the hallway in a quiet moment, no one else is around on a Sunday morning, and he says, young man, <laughs> he said, when you consider changing things at this church, would you please consider me? Yeah. I said, well, of course, in what regard? Yeah. He said, I'm 85, and I don't know how many Sundays I have left. And the way that I have learned to worship the Lord is in traditional worship. 
Yeah. So when you are contemplating changing traditional worship, would you just think of me and how few Sundays I have left? Yeah. And I've never forgotten that either. I mean, that's wow. just, that's always in the front of my mind when I think about why we have two services, why we have three different styles of services, and it fits our community. And we are committed right. to being a multi-generational church. Yes. And we're committed to reaching the community where God's placed us. So that's a major driving point, and, and it's healthy. Yes. I mean, the people in traditional love what's going on. People in modern love what's going on. People in Spanish love what's going on, and, and God has blessed that. And that traditional service is really the service to be at. Yeah. I mean, not, not our modern services are fantastic. Spanish services, high energy. That traditional service, there is such joy in that room every single Sunday. Yeah. Those people, I think part of because of their age, are genuinely grateful that they are at church on Sunday morning. Yes. Right? And so there's just an energy and a dynamic in that room that I find very encouraging. And I think that's another sign of a healthy church when you have generations cross-pollinating. You know, they're interacting. And we have a little bit of an issue with our building here, but finding ways to the, the cross-generational impact. So those senior adults can have a great impact on our students, right? And, and yes. Daniel Morrow, our student pastor, has done a great job had them playing bingo together, you know, right. just just rubbing off on each other. And the old people are energized, and the young people learning because they're their grandparents' age, right. right? So that's just a it's that's a a big move for health for us. So I think we could grow faster if we had one style of worship. I uh, really do. Yeah, but we've chosen not to. Yeah, for the health of our community and our congregation. Yeah. Another area that I think speaks well to this idea of health over growth is uh, I have a bone to pick with you. Good. We have the nastiest, most disgusting hallway VCT tile right outside Nobody the studio. Nobody likes it. Right? It's horrible. <laughs> it is it's nasty. disgusting. It's been there for over twenty years. Yeah. Why in the world have you not fixed that yet? <laughs> well, it's on the list uh, to fix, but. The reason is because we've chosen to put our resources elsewhere. Mm. I mean, we could put all our money into this building. <laughs> it's a big, massive, parts are very old. So we could put all the money into that and have a nice, shiny building to, to impress people. But again, what's the end of that? We want to put money into helping equip churches around us. That's, again, part of our vision, regional equipping church. Right. So we send money to... You know, we sent money to one church, $25,000 to help a church get some equipment and stuff that they needed. We've sent, we've sent a pastor on sabbatical right. financially as well. We've, we've poured some money and resources. We're not here to hoard what God's given us because really, and I'm, I'm proud of our church, we have that big C mindset. We're here for the church of Jesus Christ. We're not just for First Baptist Burleson. We're not here to build the brand of First Baptist. Not We're here to all. build the brand of not Jesus. Not at all. Yeah. You said that from stage. And that's often. unhealthy, <laughs> I think, to have yeah. that approach. And so what that means is we're, we got to put our money where our mouth is. We say here to help churches, not trying to tell them to do it our way, right? But, hey, what are some needs that you have? And that's right. our constant conversation with local pastors. What are some needs you have? What are staffing needs? What are some facility needs you have? And how can we help you do that? Sometimes we can't. We may not have all the resources that are needed to do that. But we've just committed a, a certain segment of our budget, certain segment of our personnel, and of our staff to send them out to help them train. And that's, that's costly to us, but again, I think it's, it's healthier in the long run. I think that's an, that's an interesting perspective. I, as the executive pastor, those tile drive me stinking bananas. <laughs> oh, they're, they right? are truly nasty. They're horrible. And they are in a queue. At some point, we are going to replace it, but yeah. I just looked at the numbers yesterday, Ronnie. That's a hundred grand oh, project. Wow. Just yeah. for flooring, paint, and some tile work. 
And think how many churches we could bless with a hundred. Well, grand. and that that's the point, right? Yeah. As as we we're in that season right now of of staffing with interns for the summer, with new residents, couple new positions, and as we start thinking through how can we take a minister of the gospel and place them in a position to grow the kingdom, <laughs> yeah. and that's going to cost thirty thousand, yeah. right? Or I can spend thirty thousand and at least get the tile done. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, well, I want the tile. Yeah, but we all do. At the end of the day, know. if it was just yeah. the scraped off and we just had subfloor there, yeah, it'd still look ugly, but it would still work. Well, and see, I think that ties all the way back to the first part of our conversation, the the idea about the buildings. And churches get excited, they're growing, so they start building and adding on. And then they haven't put any emphasis on health. It's all about the growth, and the growth isn't sustained. And then eventually, a year, two, three years, they're a third of the size they were, but those people have to maintain that building, and they have to maintain the other things. They have no resources to, to meet their own needs, right? Much less help a struggling church around the neighborhood, right? So that's where it just all implodes uh, for now, and and for the future of that church. So we're not saying don't build new buildings, no, right? No. We we are in the process of building stuff, yeah. right? So we're not saying don't do that, but don't leverage your future, yeah. in order to have a shiny new building. Make sure it's but, not going to kill you. Well, and and the whole thing of build it and they will come mm. works in you know a movie. Uh, a, a movie, <laughs> but it doesn't work in real life. And there are so many churches that have the mentality build it and they will come. Now there are some magic build it and they will come buildings. Sure, children's building. Yeah, I think always is going to increase children's attendance. Yes, doesn't matter. Oh, yeah. How, how great your staff is, yeah. if you build a brand new state-of-the-art children's building, your children's ministry is going to grow. Yeah. Right? Well, how many churches have giant education buildings? Right. You know, and that's back in the old day when Sunday school was the model. Everybody was doing Sunday school. Now you have more small groups. So adults are moving away from the campus into homes or businesses or where they might meet. So it, a lot of that's just the culture we're in as well. But those churches built I – mean, how many churches have – big gymnasiums and bowling alleys, you know, that right. set empty. Now they're just storage rooms uh, because, man, we are going and growing, so we want to get all this stuff that attracts, which is, yeah, you, you need to pay attention. You need to have nice building, and we are building the church. Look at God's description of the temple, very specific in a way to honor him. So we need to honor God with our buildings. Just not get so crazy it puts you in a hole. I kind of feel like we are a little bit of a broken record. I'm going to say something that I know we've said a dozen times on the podcast, one of the first steps you can take to make sure that you are focused on health and not growth is to have significant nose-to-nose, face-to-face relationships with other pastors. Yes. And do not get together. I, I really can't stand getting together with guys and everyone just, you wouldn't believe how great it is at my church. <laughs> While that may be true, and let's celebrate the good things, there is not enough real talk taking place among pastors Yeah, uh, where... I call up a buddy and say, another executive pastor, and say, man, I have never encountered this. Can you give me some thoughts? Yeah. Uh, wh- what would you do in this situation? Yeah. I'm evaluating this, this decision. It's a big financial decision. What do you think? Which I did when we started talking about the student center, children's building, those types of things. First thing I did is I went to a group, about 10 executive pastors I meet with, and said, guys, this scares the heck out of me. Yeah. You know? What would you do if you were encountering this situation? Yeah, and I think you know, even going further, if when you hire staff members, 
the front end is probably a good time to check out their health. You know, we talk about personality assessments and all that, but just spending some time getting to know the potential staff member just to find out their approach to church, their thought. PT, some, calisthenics. Yeah, some people have been hurt. You know, yeah, do the Arnold Schwarzenegger presidential yes. fitness test. But, I mean, you know, how many ministers have been hurt by previous pastors or previous churches? Just spend a little time getting to know that person as a person yeah. before you bring them on to the team. Well, and just one little HR caveat to that, because I do have a lot of conversations with other executive pastors about yeah. hiring people. Yeah. Do not be afraid to hire someone that has ministry baggage. Oh, yeah. Because every one of us does. We all do, yeah. <laughs> every single one Churches of us does. would be empty if we didn't do that. But you have to be immensely concerned about hiring someone that is in the center of their pain right now. Yeah. I'm not saying you can't, and I have in the past. Yeah. But it is fraught with danger. Yeah. So a word of wisdom to those that are looking for jobs, yeah. those pastors, please <laughs> get some counseling, get to a position of normalcy, uh, don't yes. be in the in the depth of pain when you're trying to interview and talk to other churches because yeah. it can be very detrimental to you getting hired. Yeah. Well, and I can tell you a couple of stories of pastors that went into a church situation and they knew that they were hurting, but their thought was, well, we'll fix him. We'll, we'll help him. It didn't go well at all. <laughs> it didn't. They didn't get help. Yeah. He had to jump in. They they said that, but they expect him to get to, the, get to work. And so he never really had time to deal with the issues and the hurts. And so... Yeah. It just turned out. Terrible. I think most of the time you got to be a relatively large size staff to be able to bring on someone who's really in the midst of pain yeah. because they've got to come in and not have to perform right away. Yeah. They they just need to come in and heal and soak for a while, yeah. but then they can be superstars. Right. But yeah, too often, time. again, health over growth. We say, no, 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 where well, I'm hiring them, I'm, pay- I'm writing them a paycheck. Yeah. Here, here's your 120-day leadership plan. Get going. Get to work, right? <laughs> and that is in direct conflict with health overgrowth. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Well, thank you, Ronnie. That's going to do it for this episode of Crazy it's Pastors. If you found this content helpful, it would be awesome if you would share it with a friend, leave us a review, or if you have a critical email, you can send that, that to Christopher at crazypastor.org. Crazy Pastor is plural. There's two of us. Deuces out. Okay.